Welcome to the Small Nonprofit Podcast with down-to-earth practical advice on how to get things done in your small organization. You are going to change the world and we can help. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Anya McGlynn. Hello again. So, Anya, one of the biggest challenges I feel like organizations face with fundraising is that they feel like it reinforces some very problematic power dynamics. Mm-hmm. You know, the haves and the have-nots and that people with a lot of money have control and say over servicing um, work that might be social justice based or, you know, serving communities that don't have um, that kind of power. Yeah, it's a legitimate, totally legitimate concern, legitimate critique of uh, philanthropy that I'm so glad to see has started to become part of um, uh, a wider public conversation about taxation and, you know, billionaires and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, love to see it. Yeah, and it's definitely there's some interesting people who do have a lot of money who are very critical of traditional philanthropy too. But today's conversation with David Kravinchuk is really about the bottom up approach, which is, and I actually wrote an, a thesis on this in my undergrad. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, which is basically, um, you know, fundraising is not just about a redistribution from the haves to the have nots, right? That is a, a very I don't want to say old because I don't think it is that old, but it's no, it's, it's a, a disempowering. Yeah. yeah, it's a very disempowering approach. And so many organizations, and this is a bit of a soapbox for me, but they sort of decide who can and can't give to them by, you know, not asking everyone to be part of, of giving. And we know that people with uh, lower incomes give more as a percentage of their income. Mm-hmm. And if we want our organizations to be accountable to the people we serve, we have to give them an opportunity to have some financial input. Mm-hmm. So what would that like, what does financial input look like for a donor who's giving $5 a month? It's going to vary for every organization. But um, I think that if organizations build a really strong community base of donors, that they will be less reliant on those bigger dollars and the government, because let's face it, the government isn't always working in the best interest of our organizations either. And so we really redistribute the, the power that way. And this is a much bigger conversation. But with David, we're talking about how we can effectively build community while fundraising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting dynamic. And like, you know, I, I could play sort of the devil's advocate here. Mm -hmm. And um, if you have one donor who's giving $10,000 a year, and you've got 100 donors who are giving 1000, my math is wrong, 1000 giving 100. Okay, 1000 giving 100 versus one person giving 10,000. It's net neutral in terms of revenue. But Let's say you have to have one lunch or two lunches and three phone calls with the person giving 10000 but there's a whole lot of other stewardship practices that go into getting, you know, those thousand donors to give a hundred. Like, I see what you're saying in terms of like, there's, there's then a power dynamic with that $10,000 donor that you have to be mindful of. And then there's like, then you wade into this weird territory of like, to what extent you're 
paying attention to that donor's needs and when you're thinking about your programming or delivery, et cetera, and like you're not necessarily beholden to those thousand hundred dollar donors in the same kind of way. So it's like But not just trade offs there. Not beholden. They hopefully are more representative yeah. of your community, right? Yeah. And of course so, you're beholden to them, but it's just like not yeah. in the same kind of Yeah. It, so but there's so much around fundraising that intersects with what organizations want to be doing anyways with community building, right? And it's not necessarily about, uh, and I think honoring every donor, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be super onerous. Mm -hmm. It has to just be respectful and appreciative and looking at fundraising as a tool to bring large groups of people closer to the organization. That's right. That's right. Because, you know, in saying that I would take the uh, network of a thousand people giving a hundred and like, think about like the, the network map. I know you would. Yeah. Over, you know, that one donor who's giving $10,000, but it's like, no, I won't introduce you to anybody. Yeah. (laughs) And, and I mean, there's not, it's not one or the other necessarily. Yeah. It's a broad mix. But what we see with small organizations in particular is like when one larger donor walks away, that the organization is in a very precarious situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they have a strong base of ongoing supporters, it's much more stable. It's much, much more predictable. And oftentimes it's much more mission aligned. So it's hard for organizations to think about the long term and, and, investing in that kind of program and growth because it takes more time but uh it shouldn't be i think it's equally important and it shouldn't be a secondary right we always sort of elevate this idea of major gifts and i i think community giving is a very valuable part of organizations Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My soapbox that I stand on is... Uh, automate. Automate. When you start getting more and more smaller gift uh, donors, you have to get really smart about the systems that you're using to managing manage that volume of data. Because now you're talking about an exponential increase oh, in yeah. complexity when you're talking about lots of small donors. Oh, yeah. And we have a podcast episode on exactly that, we which we will link in the show notes. Because systems are again this is a soapbox i think we share like so many organizations are spending so much time doing things that their systems should be doing for them Mm -hmm. and it's uh drowning our sector so listen to that episode as well but uh i'm delighted to welcome david to the podcast david carvinchuk believes that philanthropy's power belongs to all people and not just the world's wealthiest we agree He created the Common Good Fundraising Agency to help charities and nonprofits of all sizes to empower donors of modest means to experience self-fulfillment by achieving their philanthropic dreams. David and his team works with clients across Canada and internationally, and he develops and executes successful strategies for annual giving and legacy marketing programs that build value through meaningful donor relationships. Please give a warm welcome to my friend, David. David, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much, Cindy. I can't, uh, can't wait to get into our great conversation today. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I know of you, but we really only met the first time not that long ago, but I feel like we are on the same page, especially when it comes to fundraising as a tool for community building. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So do you want to start by a bit of background and maybe, you know, I know when I meet people and actually I just had this conversation with an organization we're working with where a board member said, I don't want to be part of fundraising. I'm not interested in that. And I said, can you think about being involved in community building? Is that something you can get behind? And that's a lot easier for people to swallow. So let's talk about how those are potentially the same thing. Yeah, for sure. I I love your take on that because I struggle so much uh, when talking to other fundraisers about um, kind of the area of fundraising or the approach to fundraising that I uh, want to take mm-hmm. or I want to be involved in and, uh, you know, trying to, trying to use words other than annual giving. So I love your idea around um, fundraising as community building. And for me, it's really, it comes down to that idea of fundraising with the many right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about, you know, the donors next door, our mom and pop donors. Uh, that's where I've spent my entire career is, is working with, uh, with donors like that um, and using the tools of community building like events and mail and telephone and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I get so excited and I think you do too, Cindy, around the idea that you know, a whole bunch of people coming together to, to try and make change, to try and build their community, to, to improve the world, um, in pooling their resources and, and their desire to do something good, um, is so exciting when the outcome happens, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, that's the stuff you just couldn't, um, even pay me enough to do. Or yeah. You wouldn't even have to pay me to do, I should say. (laughs) And I feel like that's why we get into this work, right? Like no one, uh, well, I don't know about no one, but at the end of the day, when we go home and we, you know, shut our work brain off and and all of it is, we want to feel satisfied. And so much of that comes from actually doing better. It's not like, did we write the best direct appeal letter? Or, you know, did we get a good open rate on our emails? It's about doing good. And I think we get caught up in, and in these, in the jargon and the, you know, all the little nitty gritty, and we lose sight of that bigger picture, which is, we want change. We want good change. Yeah, exactly. And this, you know, this speaks to so many different parts of the different challenges we have as fundraisers or, mm-hmm. or the things that maybe drive us a little bit crazy, like, you know, the idea of how much, you know, fundraisers is overhead or the cost mm-hmm. to raise a dollar. And instead of focusing on the outcome, and really the outcome is, as you said, you know, making the world a better place, doing good, doing better. Yeah. And also like for small shops in particular, where there isn't even a fundraiser on staff, things like quote unquote annual giving isn't a thing, right? Annual giving is this weird term that kind of assumes people are just going to give to you year after year or that that's how they work, which isn't true. Um, But for a lot of small organizations, they don't even know what that means. They're like, what? I just know I don't want to fundraise because I associate it with being icky and that's definitely not what we're talking about. 
you're right. It feels icky when, when you get into that kind of, you know, things put into their little silos and then labeled and then expectations are created around, you know, the behavior you want your donors to exhibit every year. And of course we want our donors to support us and love us and, and, and work toward the same goal. But, yeah. you know, that's what I think the big advantage around a small nonprofit is, you know, this idea that while the resources may not be there, the one precious resource is, and that's around the ability to have that really strong and direct relationship with your donors. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter whether that, what the size uh, or, you know, the size of the check they write uh, or how often they do that. And I think that's what's always exciting when we have clients that are on the smaller range of, of uh, organization size. I love how close they are to their donors. Even, you know, even people like my Aunt Mary, who's, you know, 89 and still writes $20 checks to, you know, 13 of her favorite charities every year. Um, you know, the small ones will probably know my Aunt Mary by name. Mm-hmm, exactly. And it's such an asset for small organizations to be able to think about fundraising as community building and making those meaningful connections. I'd love to spend some time talking about ways that organizations can do that. So, you know, if we can get people to overcome their fear of fundraising and understand that it's not about begging for money or coercing people into something, that it really is about bringing people on a journey to make the world a better place. How do we then start to do that day to day? The most important thing that you can do to get your donors to come along that journey with you, as you said, is, you know, is to inspire them to the goal or inspire mm-hmm. them to the, to the outcome or the, uh, you know, what we're trying to do to make the world better or make our corner of our community or block better. And, to me, it's a little bit simpler again with the smaller uh, with a smaller organization because usually your end goal or your result is very tangible in a way. You you have a direct connection to it, so you're not trying to, uh, you know, inspire your donor through the filter of twelve people and <laughs> and you know and a professional uh, a public relations team um, that is sending out news releases versus uh, you know talking directly to a donor about how they're will contribute to, you know, X, Y, or Z outcome, right? Absolutely. And speaking of being close to it, one of the things you and I have talked about in the past is really making things personal and not, as most people want to do, professional. So, you know, so often, and in my experience, especially at the beginning of my career when I was still starting out, you know, the board members would always edit our fundraising letters and try and make it more professional. I had, I used to work at a business school and now it's a very big organization, but one of my colleagues wanted to take the PS out of a fundraising letter because it's outdated, right? It You don't need the PS with technology, but it can make it feel less uh, distant and more connected. So what are some ways that we can actually leverage that and, to, and talk to us about how to make things feel really right. personal? Yeah. And uh, this is one of the things that I love to get on my soapbox about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it drives me up the wall to see organizations that are so desperate to um, sounds like a army full of suits carrying like 1960s Mad Men style briefcases into a room to put together words, right? That's, that's really not how human beings work. And 
the irony to me is that if you look at the giant corporations of the world and the hugest brands that we all know, what their brands, what their taglines, what their marketing materials suggest are certainly not around this kind of very professional and business-like thing, right? Mm -hmm. They're trying to get at the emotion or very simple um, action words and that sort of thing. So I think we should really take our cue from corporations and not be uh, in that (laughs) respect and not be business-like at all and be very much um, communicate with people very much on a personal um, level and think about what that means, right? Yeah. Think about how you speak with somebody when you're um, having a coffee with them or you get together with a friend over a glass of wine. What does that sound like in comparison to, you know, what a, a, a sponsorship request letter might sound like in a small organization for an event, right? And how do we, how do we make sure that everything we put out there um, has a feel and sound of a letter that maybe one of your grandparents might write you at the holidays or for your birthday or that conversation over the phone with your sibling or your best friend? Uh, those that's the kind of tone I think that we really need to aim for every time we're connecting with our donors. Yeah. And that's email, that's mail, even website, right? Like I see a lot of websites that are just like information dumps of we need all this information. And, you know, we uh, see so many organizations start their website with their mission, uh, which is, not uh, how we talk every day uh, and certainly not how we talk to our donors. So it's everywhere, right? Like we want to show up authentically and our donors want us to show up authentically. And we have, I don't know why we have this bias towards trying to mask that with this professional or um, academic I see a lot, but you know, we're always trying to hide it where it should be where we shine. Absolutely. And I just think, you know, I think back to, again, like your grandma sending you a Christmas card or a a birthday card or something like that. Can you imagine if she wrote it saying, you know, on behalf of your grandfather and I, I would like to extend a warm, you know, wish for your, you know, the anniversary of your birth. Wouldn't you call the police if that came through because you were worried that something yeah. had happened to grandma and grandpa? It's like one of those scams <laughs> for when your email gets hacked and they're like, help, I'm stuck in the UK. Can you please send me, you know, $1,000 or whatever the case may be when, like I've had that happen, I don't know if you have, where they hack into your email and they send this really weird email to your contacts and it sounds nothing like you. Why do we think that our donors want to hear from us that way? It boggles my mind. Oh, exactly. I, you know, I think it's because we have, I, you, we could probably spend at least a week on this podcast discussing, <laughs> you know, the, the issues that are so systemic in our sector about, you know, uh, how we, you know, we we don't value the work that we do or we don't Mm. value um, the experience that we bring to the table in comparison to, you know, suddenly somebody who works in finance on Bay street or, or uh, you know, in, in advertising uh, you know, somehow they have more experience or more understanding of how the world works versus um, versus fundraisers. And so I think it's really important that we value uh, mm-hmm. what we know and, uh, and that we use that, uh, that innate natural ability to connect with people and, and everything we do around how we talk to our donors, no matter what size of organization. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I love that you brought up the fact that we undervalue the work of our sector, right? It's it's all of us in our sector and our society undervalues it, but we have internalized that, I think, uh, to a degree. And certainly when I talk to a lot of small organizations, there's this sense that we can't get paid well, or you know, we can't ask for too much, or we always have to operate on this really tight shoestring um, because we're mission-based and we should be doing this out of passion and commitment. I mean, that is one of my, I, we're definitely on a bit of a soapbox here, but I love that that's come up because I do think that feeds into our ability to connect with people in fundraising. Like if we don't value our work, we're not going to show up in a way that other people are going to value it too. Well, yeah. And it goes to even right to the heart of your question around the idea of, you know, fundraising, fundraising is icky, but community building is, is positive. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's, uh, it's the kind of thing that we're all, so many of us find ourselves apologizing for the yeah. fact that we're, you know, that money is attached to uh, the idea of uh, creating a positive outcome somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we need to get over ourselves a little bit on that front. And and I think, it, you know, that also seeps into things like in organizations uh, or fundraisers or fundraising offices or boards that are worried about, you know, we'll be bothering our donors if we ask them. Mm-hmm. Right? versus, you know, exciting them about an amazing thing that they're super passionate about and letting them know about this opportunity that they have to participate in this amazing change that will happen to, you know, either transform all of human society or, you know, maybe (laughs) one small corner of our neighborhood. Yeah. I love that uh, idea of how do we get people to excitedly anticipate hearing from us? right? How is it that it's not like, oh, this again, but actually, you know, this is something that matters so much to me and you really have tapped into that and I can't wait to see what's next. So, I mean, we all have super exciting stories to tell Mm -hmm. and we all have super exciting initiatives that are happening in our charities. And, you know, sometimes uh, we have to remind ourselves that while it might not be exciting, the work might not be exciting to everybody on the planet. <laughs> it certainly is to the subset of people who are passionate about the work you do. Uh, as we were talking today, Cindy, about this, I was thinking about a client we worked with uh, last year. And they're a, a well-known but small uh, mm-hmm. arts group. They're well-known to their community uh, in, in Western Canada. And we were doing some, some capacity building with them. And, and part, of that we were, uh, part of that, we had the opportunity to interview some of their donors. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, this organization had had a, a serious financial uh, blow that happened to them a few years before. Mm-hmm. And and their donors really came through to help them, and really helped them survive. Uh, this was something that could have easily uh, sunk them. And one of the things that struck me was in in two or three of the interviews that we had with uh, with a handful of donors. And these were people that, yes, some were larger dollar donors, but some of them were just loyal donors that might be you know um, sending fifty or hundred dollars a year to help out with the with the organization. But all of them were saying to us, you know, we were a little bit upset that when this happened, um, when this when this terrible uh, situation occurred, that the organization didn't come to us immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, they said things like, we're family and family helps each other. 
especially when times are bad. And, um, and we really, you know, offended wasn't the right word because mm-hmm. they really love and genuinely care about this organization. But they were, um, you know, they were a little bit almost sad that the organization didn't come immediately to them and to say, you know, we were in this terrible situation and we really need your help to survive. And when we shared that with the client, they were just blown away. I mean, there were a few tears, right? People are like, <laughs> the emotion of being cared for so much uh, by your by your donors. Um, but also this idea of like, wow, we're, we're not bothering them when we ask them for money, um, especially when we ask them for things that are important or not, you know, and not always just for our survival, but about maybe the production in this case of a really great, important piece of art, a new piece of art that might happen in Canada. I think if we start to think of it from that mentality of, you know, whether you're a, you know, a hospice or a a children's uh, hospital or, or an arts group or amateur sports uh, organization, you know, what are your, what are your donors, what do they care about? And what, what is it about your work that they care about? Mm-hmm. And let's go out and tell them about, first of all, of course, how their gifts are helping, but all these other new things that are coming that they can participate in, right? That is such a great story. I have a couple questions based on some of the things you said. So one of the things you mentioned is, you know, how do we put back to our donors, the things that they care about, right? How do we make sure they're hearing about those things? And I know people usually ask, well, how do I find out what they want to know about? So what do you suggest for organizations in trying to get to know their donors so they can be successful with that? The most important thing you can do is actually talk to your donors Mm -hmm. one-on-one. And it's great if you can talk to more than just, uh, you know, your largest uh, donor or two or your top 10. If you can uh, reach around, uh, dig around a little bit in your, in your database or, or maybe in your Excel file, if you're a really (laughs) tiny charity just starting out and and try and spend some time learning a little bit about your donors how they connected to your organization at first mm-hmm. um that's one of my favorite ways to learn a little bit about you know what what was that initial spark uh and to find out about uh what they're excited about that you did this year mm-hmm. uh if the answer is i don't know because i didn't hear from you then <laughs> that's a that, that's a very telling answer yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's good because that tells you right away what you need to do um and if they have an answer for you then that's great let's let's find out what that is i i worry about you know i'm not always the hugest fan of using donor surveys to drive what my communication strategy might be mm-hmm. yeah I like it for like anecdotal things and I like it for some other kind of general test questions, yeah. but uh, I do get a little worried about uh, using surveys because a lot of times people tell you what they think you want to hear yeah. versus in a conversation, uh, you know, where it's getting a little more personal and it feels like more like a coffee chat. They're going to, they're going to get real with you. Right. Absolutely. So I think that's number one. I would I would have a chat with people, and it you know whether that's picking up the phone or at your next event. Um, if you have a chance to talk to them at your registration desk, or you know moving around from table to table, if it's a gala kind of thing, um, yeah, just get out and, and talk to people and find out what's most interesting to them. 
Mm-hmm. And that's such a great follow-up opportunity. If you do meet someone at an event or something like that, where you can't really get into the juicy details, you know, just ask them for a coffee. It's so, I don't know why people get so hung up on donor meetings. And that's what I would have said as well as, is get to start listening to them. But people are very afraid. And I think sometimes it's because they're afraid. Well, there's a couple reasons. The first is they think people are going to say no and that they're going to have to ask for money in the meeting. Can you debunk that a little bit? For sure. Those are two Uh, things, but yeah. Well, first of all, some people might say no, right? Yep. They're not, not, not everyone wants to to have a coffee with you, but that's all right too, right? Yeah, uh, no biggie. That, yeah, personal, and that, yeah. that doesn't mean they don't like you or your organization, but you know, at the end of the day, it might not be the most important thing in their world and, and that's all right. But many, many people will say yes, because they're obviously, if they're sending you money, if they're coming to your events, if they're staying connected with you over a period of time, they're really interested in the work that you do. And if you can offer kind of a little bit of an insight there and a little bit for them of like a, a, a direct connect to the organization mm-hmm. versus, you know, just an envelope that shows up in their, uh, yeah. in their letterbox or, or uh, you know, an email that shows up uh, on December 31st. Uh, in their inbox, right? Um, and of course, making it super personal when you reach out, not like a form request, you know, acknowledge their support and make them understand that you know you're asking them specifically, not just that you're asking everyone. Well, absolutely. And and also, you know, can we, is, is there a way that you can, you know, in a very succinct way, share what, uh, explain what you will share or what kind of what you're bringing to the table? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it asking them for some advice around your programming or you just want to gather, you know, thoughts on their key supporters or, you know, maybe you want to tell them about something that you're going to be doing in the next year or two and, and uh, just kind of give them that insider's view, right? Exactly. Which leads actually nicely into the second fear, which is asking for money, which you're not doing, right? right. This is not a meeting to ask for money. Right. Although one caveat. Yes. I hear this a lot of times and it makes me cringe. Fundraisers set up meetings with donors like this, like these first little coffee meetings. And they say Mm -hmm. things like, and don't worry, I'm not going to ask you for money. I cringe because first of all, we should never apologize for asking. Exactly. Yeah. Second, you just never know what's going to happen during one of those meetings, right? Um, you might get into a conversation with somebody who is super pumped, super excited about the work that you're doing. Maybe you are going to tell them something that blows their mind, or maybe they're saying yes to you because they are ready to write a large check to you. You just never know. Absolutely. Um, And yeah, I never want people to apologize for asking for money, right? That the idea, the whole premise of this conversation is that, you know, we want to inspire people. And I love that example because um, I have had these conversations where people like surprise me by pulling out their checkbooks. They're like, yes, I want to do this, right? So often we're taught that like in order to get money, we have to ask directly. But I think the best way to get donations is to inspire. And that might come down to having an ask, but I would never put the ask before the inspire. Absolutely. You're so right. This is so great. I love talking about this because I love donor meetings. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk a little bit more about... 
I mean, we talked about mindset, which is just like valuing our work, not apologizing for doing fundraising and looking at it as, you know, our work is critical and our, and it's important and valuable. We talked about tone and being really personal and connecting with people. Is there any other facet or aspect to making doing community building through fundraising? We're starting to touch on it as well when we talk about like that personal connection, that relationship. And we talked a little bit about professional too, professional versus personal. Mm-hmm. A couple of things that um, kind of swirl around in that same kind of tornado of inspiration for me. Mm-hmm are also emotion and about on authenticity. Your donor can smell, uh, humans can smell inauthentic bullshit from a mile away, right? Yeah. And we don't want to be inauthentic, right? Like (laughs) it's no one wants to show up that way. It's because we're scared or nervous or we do have a misconception about what fundraising is and we feel like we have to fit that mold instead of just be ourselves. So how do we find our authenticity? Well, I mean, I think, especially if we're talking about around donor meetings again, or, or frankly, any donor communication, you and the donor actually have a lot in common to begin with. I mean, mm-hmm. you have you're connected through your organization. There was a reason why, presumably, you took the position uh, at the organization you're at, right? Um, aside from the fact that, you know, a paycheck is important and it's <laughs> your chosen, uh, likely your chosen field of work. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but, you know, there, there was a reason why you connected to the work that you're doing. And so, I, you know, that to me is that first kind of in that you have with your donor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's exciting about what you're doing? Maybe, and even if it's just you're new and you're learning about it, what what are you kind of, you know, what's really pinging for you? Uh, and that could be kind of exciting. Or to, if a donor's been... Uh, with the organization for a long time connected for a very long time and maybe has you know, volunteered and done, and done other played other roles in the organization. Um, that can even be uh, an opportunity for them in some ways to almost like build like a bit of almost a mentorship mm-hmm. and a relationship too. And so, yeah, I think being authentic that way, showing your excitement, showing um, that you're uh, excited about the work that you do uh, or making that difference or doing that community building at the organization you're with. Yeah. And we're getting to the end of our time, but I do want to touch on the emotion piece. I mean, we so often hear about storytelling as one of the, well, scientifically, it's one of the best ways to to get people to buy in emotionally. Do you want to talk a little bit about that or any other ways that we can sort of bring emotion to our work? Yeah. And I think that's really the key. And, and when we come down to what often triggers people around, uh, you know, say a board member or one of our bosses who gets upset about the way we've written something, or even say they, you know, maybe ever overheard a conversation that we're having with a donor that's very personal. Uh, often what triggers them is, a, is, is kind of emotional content. Um, and, you know, that strikes us as not being professional. And, you know, we've been taught that in, in business writing, right? We strip out those kinds of things and we use neutral language and all of that. Really the, the emotion is what triggers that um, relationship building, uh, that community building. And frankly, the, is the trigger for making the decision to give, right? Mm -hmm. Humans are emotional creatures that happen to think not the other way around. The key to being able to leverage that knowledge and just, you know, this is the way that we are, 
we connect most uh, or best and most deeply with people is when we, when we use that um, ability to show emotion, um, whether that's anger and uh, you know, and negative emotions are really important in fundraising. Mm-hmm. You know, if there is a wrong on that little piece of your block or a wrong in the world, um, you know, and we've seen some really fantastic examples of what's wrong in the world recently. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and people getting angry and standing up and doing something about it to make a difference, to make change. So that's really critical. And then also, uh, you know, positive emotions like love and support and all of those things that we are able to come together especially when we talk about community building, many people coming together to solve these problems and, and to uh, take that positive step, uh, make that change and feel fantastic about that. Right. What I also love about storytelling is it's easier for us, right. As people who are doing fundraiser fundraising um, or community building, right. Like no one wants to memorize and it goes back to the authenticity. No one wants to memorize like the elevator pitch, which I don't think we should have those anyways, but um, you know, how much more authentic and present can we be when we're telling a story we're excited about or that moved us? Like it just makes it so much easier and you're better able to connect with people. So they're, they receive it better, but it also feels better for us. Also, our, our brains are hardwired for stories, right? Uh, yeah. we've, we've evolved uh, that stories are important for us and it's how we learn and it's how we process information. So, you know, while, while um, many other people in your organization sometimes want us to put out maybe statistics about how we make mm-hmm. the world a better place. <laughs> what are you talking about? I've never heard anyone wanting that. <laughs> um, the only way that we can really make that come alive is by telling the story behind the yeah. statistics. So we need to find the statistic of one. We need to find that individual story that we can tell um, that we can really bring that to life and show the impact through one person. And, you know, there's a ton of research and I'd love to get out there, get into that with you today about all of that that's out there. But um, certainly if you Google like Dr. Paul Slovak in, um, I think it's the University of Oregon has done amazing work around this ability to for humans to process information and how, why story is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, let's just leave it at, you're exactly right, Cindy, storytelling is the, is the key to almost everything around uh, how we connect with our donors, whether it's on paper, on a screen or across a table. Well, let's leave it at that. I think there's so much for our listeners to take back with them. David, where can they learn about you and the work that you're doing? Oh yeah. Great. Um, You can find out all about our little agency, the common good at um, cgfundraising.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at David Kravinchuk. Excellent. And you also have a killer conference uh, that you, I encourage you to share with our listeners, because if you're in the West Coast, especially, um, or if you have enough professional development budget to travel, uh, it's a great one. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, we try and keep it affordable too. So even if your professional budget is a little bit smaller, um, (laughs) we're we're a big bang for your buck. We bring in uh, amazing speakers from across Canada, the US and Europe. 
uh, and we're out in Western Canada every year. This year we'll be in Kelowna, BC, beautiful, beautiful Kelowna, BC, in the Okanagan, um, May 13th to 15th. And people can learn all about the conference at wcfc.ca. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. Oh, thanks for having me, Cindy. And and thank you uh, for doing this amazing podcast. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week. Thank you.